Hi guys, I'm Jess. And I'm Heidi. And welcome to Betty Squared. Today we are looking at chapter 69, Men of Honor. And I looked this one up and Heidi, perhaps you can tell me whether you think that this connects or not. But Men of Honor was a 2000 movie starring Cuba Gooding Jr. and Robert De Niro. And it's the story of the story ultimately revolves around two men of honor, their relationships, their individual and joint failures and triumphs. Uh, Carl is determined to be the first African-American Navy diver in a time where racism is living. And Leslie is his embittered trainer determined to see him fail. Fate Challenges and circumstances eventually draw these two men together in a tale of turbulence and ultimately triumph. Hmm. I mean, definitely, I didn't look at the title of the episode until, like, just before we recorded. I was like, oh, what was it? Uh, and the title very much fits, in my mind, with the episode's premise. I don't know about the movie, I guess. I guess so. It seems broad enough. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I didn't see a, um, a direct correlation, but I think that, you know, question of honor and what it means to be a man and have this, you know, uh, this legacy that you leave behind or you create for yourself is very valid, but not a direct take from a movie, I don't think. No, not other than title and theme. Yeah, well, you know what? That's closer than some of the other ones that we've had. Some of the others have been real stretches. So I'm happy with that. I'm happy to take away title and theme. Hooray! <laughs> Where would you like to start this week's episode? Oh, man. I mean, we could just jump into the very beginning. The very first thing is, you know, talking about honor is Jughead doing his narration, his voiceover moment, uh, talking about honor between men and and then we find out that Jughead has has uh, thrown the gauntlet down, or you know, he has he's challenged whatever his name is. I can never remember Brett. Yeah, it's Brett. <laughs> I I just hate him. Um, and I don't remember. Did he do this last at the end of last episode? I don't think he did. Yeah, he actually did. So I had the same thing. I was like, wait a minute. I'm really confused. Why are they showing down? But yeah, right at the very end of the last episode, um, chapter 68, quiz show, he challenged Brett to a duel. He said something about like the, the quill and skulls, uh, you know, their, their bylaw states that if there is a disgruntled member of their group that has a, a grievance against another one, they may challenge uh, one another to a duel of some description to, you know, settle the score once and for all. Oh, well, there you go. I guess. I, I'm, I don't remember that, but that makes sense. And it made sense when I started this episode. I was like, oh, I think, I think that happened, but I wasn't sure. But the takeaway is that they're fighting and, and Jughead just wants to punch him, I guess. And boy, was that a good punch. Oh my God. I love that Jughead, you know, he was being so cocky and he's like, I'm only going to need like a minute or whatever. They were like, you've got 10 minutes or there was some time constraint. And Jughead's like, I'm only going to, it's only going to take like one punch. And then like true to his word, he actually freaking did it. And I was like, oh my God, that's awesome. Yeah. It was a one and done. And I mean, he, 
compared to Brett in like all three of the challenges, even with the fencing, which he had just learned, <laughs> he also did pretty well. Like he wasn't taken out super easily by Brett in that one either. So it it did seem like it could have been a total like full all three knockout from Jughead if things had maybe just gone in his favor a little bit more. And just on that fencing uh, comment, because I actually wrote a, a note, I was like, wow, Jughead really knows how to fence. Color me surprised. Now, I actually took fencing classes. It was a compulsory activity at this really bougie, private, all-girls school that I went to uh, in Australia. And I loved it. I felt really badass, but I didn't get far enough in to know, you know, what constitutes as a as a correct move and a point and what constitutes as, you know, me just taking my aggression out on somebody. But for Jughead to learn that quickly, it's much harder than it looks. There's quite a lot of um, intricacy to, to fencing. It's not just like trying to kill the other person. There's an actual art to it. So for him to learn that quick, I was very impressed. Yeah, I was impressed. I've never done fencing, but like from what I know of it, you get different points from hitting people in different spots. But yeah, it's very technical. So I Donna seems to be a good teacher. That's also another of my early notes, I was like, why would you choose Donna? I guess he's not really friends with anyone else, but still. I was surprised by that choice too. I was really thrown. I thought of all the people he could have chosen, of course he's going to choose Donna. And obviously as this episode kind of progresses, we learn that Donna's not to be trusted. But I mean, I could have told you that just from all the shit she's done this episode, uh, this um this season since since she's been introduced. Yeah, exactly. And remember back when we uh with that episode where Donna confesses, you know, stuff to Betty or whatever at the school um which was called that episode specifically was called back to a lot in this one. Um like with Betty uh Brett pulling a uh a oh my god, I can't think of the word. Oh, a like a thing so she can't come near him. What is that called? restraining order. Thank you. Oh my gosh. I Before we started recording, I was a hot mess and I am going to continue to be, I guess. But anyway, that episode was called back to a lot in this one. And when we talked about a, that episode before, I remember saying like, I feel a little bad for it, but I don't believe her. And like, with good reason, I guess. I, that was nice. I felt gratified. Yeah, you're spot on. We both said, we're like, mm, do we believe her though? Do we believe this story? This is kind of weird. Uh, but you want to hear just to digress really quickly. Have I ever told you that I have a restraining order out on somebody? You might have because you did. And I mean, feel free to cut this if it's like too much information. But I remember you telling me about your stalker. Is it against that guy? Yes. For anybody that's like, wait, what? Long time ago, actually not that long, <laughs> about five years ago, uh, there was a colleague at work that was particularly interested in me. And for any of my friends in Australia who are listening, who knows who this person is, hi, shut your mouths. We don't need to publicly shame. It's been taken care of. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he was a little more invested in our working relationship than I realized. And it um, started to get to the point where it was it was harassment. Um, I changed jobs and it was things like, you know, he'd 
turn up and he'd you know, turn up to my house and send me emails and call me incessantly. And it got to the point one day where he got really aggressive with me because I said like, you know, calm down, stop turning up, stop calling, you know, I'll call you, don't call me. And uh, he got really aggressive. So I remember going to the, um, the police with my mom and having to give a witness statement. And then we had to go to court and testify and it was awful. It was awful. Um, but again, this is where me being a foreigner kind of clouds things for me because I don't quite know what the, the justice system and how it all works in the United States. But in terms of what evidence I had to show to prove that I was being stalked and that I felt threatened, that was crazy. So for Brett, to just be like, oh, I'm going to take a restraining order out on Betty. I feel threatened by her. I was like, mm, not as easy as that. But, you know, we know that Riverdale is a nice little stretch anyway. Yeah, I, I don't personally have any experience with restraining orders and stuff. Luckily, I'm very lucky. Um, so I'm not sure exactly, but I agree. Even being different countries, I do think it might be just a little bit more... Um, a little bit more difficult than that. And the thing with the restraining orders too is that it it it's just this piece of paper that says this person can't come near you, but it doesn't protect you as much as it should. So for people who actually need the protection. So Brett is just BS. And I mean, also by the end of this episode, if he actually had a restraining order out on her, there were multiple times where he could have been like calling it into action and he did not. So I think it was just a thing that they wanted to say. Yeah, agreed. And I, again, I can't speak on the laws in the United States, but certainly the, the law here is that um, if this person that I took the restraining order out against comes within so many, you know, meters, because we're talking in Australia, uh, he's immediately arrested. There's no, I don't have to give any reason or evidence or proof or whatever. He's just immediately in violation. And after so many arrests, I believe it's jail time. But again, I I don't quite know. Thankfully, the restraining order in my situation was enough to have him go away. But it was a terribly traumatic experience because I remember thinking, what, what actually happens here is when they serve somebody a restraining order, they go to their house or they go to their place of employment and they actually arrest the person. They take them to the police station and then they officially charge them. And the charges don't go through until you go to court and the restraining order becomes cemented. So um, like I said, thankfully it was enough to keep him at bay, but there was also that guilt associated with, am I ruining this man's life by getting this restraining order? But it got to the point where um, I wasn't able to leave the house on my own um, for fear that he would follow or hurt me or something. So it, it was very much warranted, but yeah, you had that that guilt associated. You know, I'm sure he was married as well. I'm sure his wife knew nothing about it. Um, and you know, I thought, God, if he gets arrested in front of his wife, that's going to ruin his wife's life. So it, it took a, a lot of an emotional toll too. So the fact that Bet was a, a bet, Brett was able to so easily invest in this or, you know, take one out against Betty. I call baloney. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, 
like I said, nothing really came of it. So didn't really hinder Betty too much. And I mean, she's having a hard enough time already at the beginning of this episode. I know, my sweet darling Betty. I love her. But I tell you what, like, let me just read you the first couple of notes that I have because I don't know if you found this, but I personally felt like there was so much that happened before that, you know, Riverdale opening credit scene. Um, So, like, I had all these different thoughts. So, obviously, I looked up the film first and foremost, which we've already covered, and then I made a comment on Veronica's uh, quote to Hiram where she's talking about going to New York and, you know, for this, this college interview. And of course she'll be going on a shopping spree. I was like, wow. Okay. Okay. Veronica, like you need to calm right down because that's Hiram's money you're spending. Anyway, we can talk about that later. Is it his money though? She owns two, three businesses now. It's probably her own money. Oh girl. I don't even know. I don't even know, but I was just like, okay, you need to calm down. And then she's all like New York is my town, my town. I'm like, okay, bitch, calm down. Anyway, like I said, we can talk more on that later. And then my next note was, I am living for this Alice and Betty storyline. And that's why I wanted to quickly jump to these notes because I was like, I I have to say this because this storyline just gave me life. Again, we'll talk about that on a minute, in a minute, beg your pardon. And then my very next thought was, oh no, not Tony when I saw her like, you know, approaching Fangs and, and Kevin. Uh, but obviously that reveals itself to be uh, something else later on. And then my next note is, wow, that was a lot to take in before the opening credits. Yeah, it was. And I don't, I mean, I haven't ever like timed when the opening Riverdale thing comes out. So I assume that they probably change it up. Like sometimes it's quicker and sometimes it's later, you know, but this one, I agree. It was a long, it was a lot of stuff happening before that opening uh, title card. Which I was really excited about because it set this episode up really, really nicely. But I I was like, oh my God, look at all this stuff that's happening. And then, you know, the Archie and, um, and uh, Frank storyline as well. I was like, holy crap. And then when the title did pop up, I was like, oh yeah, I forgot. We haven't seen that yet. Like this is just the, the, you know, the the prologue. We haven't even started the episode yet. So that gave me a lot of hope for this episode. I uh, was introducing my mom to our podcast because she doesn't, you know, she's old and she doesn't know how to get podcasts. Hi, mom, if you're listening. Sorry about the old comment. <laughs> and um, we listened to, to our last episode together and she's like, oh, this is so funny. She's like, oh boy, you swear a lot. And then, you know, I had to try and explain to her what character does what and things like that. But I, um, well, you and I obviously did not like last week's episode at all. And my mom even commented, she's like, if you hate th- this episode so much, why do you do this podcast? I'm like, no, this is just like one off one. But what I loved, the reason for saying that story is because the way this episode was set up I got really excited. I was like, I think this is going to be a really strong episode. And it was. Yeah, I agree. They very much had like a plan this episode. And you could tell like from each plot line that they set before that title card, like this is what we're going to see this episode. And it's all going to like 
have a like well thought like thought out plots and stuff like that and you could tell early on and that was cool that was good i agree and i think after the monstrosity that was last episode i think we were owed this <laughs> i agree i super agree even if it was a kind of a rough episode for our betty girl it was still good television yeah i tell you the only grievance i do have with this episode is actually the camera work I don't know if you ever look at stuff like that again because of my film background and the, you know, the producer in me. I can't help but look at sometimes like, you know, that aspect of the show. And I personally felt the camera work in this episode, especially during the stunts, was really terrible. Now, that I'm prepared to forgive because I feel like the choreography for the stunts wasn't super tight so maybe they were trying to do crazy stuff with the camera to cover up the poor stunt work or maybe it was just bad camera that made the stunts look bad I don't know which way but that was my pretty much my only grievance with this episode interesting yeah I mean sometimes we've talked about it before sometimes I notice it but you definitely notice it much more than I do for this particular episode I didn't specifically like note anything having to do with the camera work but I agree that the I couldn't quite place it on the stunts, if, just like what you were saying. Is it bad stunts? Is the camera work bad? But they they felt weird. <laughs> I just know I felt weird while watching like all of the fight choreo. Well, I know initially I was I've done a bit of stunt choreography myself, and uh, in my in my work, uh, I work with a lot of very um, high up stunt professionals. And, you know, you see and you hear a thing or two. And I was like, okay, these stunts are are not looking too bad. And then we got this really jarring, like, camera jolt. And that kind of took me out and reminded me I was watching a TV show. And then that's when I started to look more closely at the camera work. And it was very jarring. Uh, It looked like they had shot the scene on a steady cam. And if there's any other film professionals out there, you'll know uh, what I mean. But it just looked like the cameraman, or maybe they didn't shoot on a steady steady cam and they needed to. It was something about there wasn't fluidity with the actual way it was being shot. It was very jarring to give that dramatic effect uh, to, to the scene, but it made the stunts look cheap, I think. Yeah, I definitely, like, retrospectively thinking back to it, I can definitely see what you mean. And it's funny that you mentioned a steady cam because the other day it was the Super Bowl here in the US and there was just like one of these particular like overhead shots of like the field and there was a guy with this huge steady cam and I like pointed it out and uh my sister was like, "What?" and I like explained to my family what a steady cam was. It was very weird. <laughs> yeah, and it can look really confusing, but basically it's a camera that is physically attached to the body of the cameraman and it gives very very fluid very um agile shots and you can do a 360 in like two seconds it's it's wonderful um but yeah it's either it was shot on that and not well or it wasn't shot on that and needed to be it was just it was not great it was not great but enough about camera angles I want to talk about Alice and Betty because I just, like I said in my other note before, I just loved it. I lived for everything that they did together and 
that one little scene where Betty's telling Brett off and he's, he, you know, they're talking about the sex tape and Alice flips out. I, it was just so funny. It was great. And that's the Alice that I love. Yeah, Alice was pretty great this episode. And it's nice to see them, like, working together. It's like, we get a lot of different, like, detective duos, but we don't get those two as often, I think, as, like, Veronica and Betty, or obviously Jughead and Betty. So it was nice to see them kind of, like, lean on one another and deal with one another in this context. Totally agree. And, you know, we, we've said time and time again that they're not really sure what they're doing with Alice and that her storyline has been so up and down and back and forth, back and forth. But yeah, I just, I loved it. I thought it was really, really great. Um, I'm trying to write, I'm trying to find where I wrote down exactly what was said. Oh, okay. So Betty goes, do you have a video of me and Jughead? And Alice goes very melodramatically, oh my God. And then Betty like puts her hands up and goes, mom, calm down. And then continues her her very aggressive conversation with Brett. It was so over the top and so uh, out of place, but it worked so well. It was just hysterical. Yeah, it made sense for Alice. <laughs> like it was exactly the response, especially when Betty was like too chill. I have a whole qualm with that whole storyline as well, but we don't have to get to it now. But I have issues. <laughs> with Alice and Betty? Not with Alice and Betty, sorry, with the sex tape thing. We can talk about it now, actually, if you want to, because I I also have a qualm with it. Yeah, let's get it out of the way, I guess. Um, Yeah, I'm sorry. The whole time during that conversation, I was just expecting Alice to be like, Brett, if you publish a sex tape of my underage daughter, you're going to go to jail because that's child pornography, dude. And even if... If you put it out there, you're going to get in trouble. And so will Jughead and so will Betty, Betty, most likely, which is horrible. But he would go to jail and he would, for the rest of his life, be on a sex offender list. That is illegal. If a ch- Like, that is child pornography. It, they're not adults. Like, I don't care how old they pretend to be. That was my biggest issue. And that Alice, that nobody recognized that or said anything about it, I think is kind of really dangerous like kids need to know especially teenagers that if somebody sends them a dirty picture and then they spread it around to other people or they put it online you're going to get in trouble for child pornography charges yes exactly welcome to psa also known as betty squared (laughs) yep exactly i just that really bothered me i was like jesus that's not no It bothered me too. And the note, I I didn't even make the connection that um, it's child pornography. But yes, it is. It is child pornography. And Brett could actually also be charged for possession of child pornography, let alone distribution of it. But what I wrote down, what I was like, oh, this is really weird and awkward, is when they, you know, when he gets the alert on his watch that, um, you know, uh, the skull and quill had been broken into when they all run downstairs. The teacher, Mr. DuPont, is there. Betty is saying, you have a sex tape. You have tapes of students being filmed without their permission. And you've got Alice in the room and you've got Mr. DuPont. So 
technically the two adult figures. At neither at no point did either of them say, okay, this is a serious accusation. We need to investigate this. Betty, give me the tape and I will take this to the principal or I will take this to the police. It was a big hole. It was a really big hole in this plot point. And like they're they're not I they're not eighteen yet. Like there's almost no way. I don't know when Jughead or Betty's birthdays are, but like there's it is very unlikely that they're that both of them are eighteen, um, let alone just one of them. So that's yeah, it's just it was bad all around. <laughs> it was. That again, like I said before, oh I've only got one grievance with this. Apparently I've got two. But no, it was just, it was inappropriate. And I think, you know, there is that duty of care uh, that shows, it's tricky, but shows should have and do have, but don't really often, you know, utilize. But there is this duty of care where if somebody has done something like this, if somebody is calling um, a, you know, somebody out for filming them doing something that they didn't give permission for. That's a, that's a serious accusation and it should be investigated. It shouldn't just be brushed under the rug. So I think for the events and everything like that to still go forward, um, was perhaps not the right thing to see or show. Yeah, I agree. And it's, it's just a, it's just a weird choice because there's, other ways that Brett could have something against Moose um, and Betty and Jughead. Like he could just have a recording device in like for audio recording. Cause that's just as, you know, bad, but it's not the, like you don't have to then deal with the child pornography things. And I know that Riverdale likes to pretend like they're like just in this kind of like time zone that doesn't exist. That's old and current and like all that stuff but this doesn't that doesn't matter you have technology like vhs tapes and like uh phones and things and the internet and things like that if those things are around then these same laws are around as well and you're in america you're not not in america we're talking about new york city and all that fun stuff it just seems it just seems like a weird choice it's weird but that's my big qualm we can move on from it all right well my next, uh, my next note is, <laughs> do you know what a mercenary is? Yeah. Yeah. I know what a mercenary is. Okay. So I didn't, <laughs> I thought, I thought he meant missionary. <laughs> oh, very different. Very different things. So different. So in case anybody else watched this episode and was like, wait, what? Okay. So I was watching it. And I was just like, why are they running from a missionary? A missionary, like, why is that? Why is Frank acting like that's such a bad thing? He was security for a missionary. That's wonderful. Then I was like, oh, wait, they're using the word uh, mercenary. So I actually looked it up. So if anybody also watched it and was like, what the hell is a mercenary? Um, the, the definition that I think I got off like Wikipedia or somewhere, so it may not be 100% correct but a mercenary or somebody who is a mercenary is primarily concerned with making money at the expense of ethics. So 
if that helps explain it for anybody. But yeah, I spent 90% of the episode thinking he was a missionary and being so confused about why people were coming to kill him. And then on the second watch through, I was like, oh, they're saying mercenary, not missionary. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know that word because of D&D and other nerdy things. So also there, I was having like the whole plot line of Frank and the Ted Bishop guy was very Barry. <laughs> HBO's Barry. Have you watched it? No, oh. never heard of it. Oh, oh my God, you have to watch it. It's Bill Hader's show that he writes and directs and stars in, and he's incredible. He's basically, he's a hired, he's a hitman, and he used to be in uh, in the army, I believe. Um, but then when he gets back from, you know, war, when he's, uh, when he's able to uh, come back to the real world or whatever, he doesn't know how to acclimate, so he gets involved in becoming like a hired hitman. So it's very, very similar to the Frank and Ted Bishop storyline. But I feel like with Bill Hader, is it comedy? Um, it's a, it's a like dark comedy. It's really dark, but it's really good. It's there's oh. also he also is a hired hitman, but then he starts having he wants to become an actor as well. So it's very funny and it's. A lot of the acting stuff, you would probably really like that too. I very much agree with and um, and feel like cringy feels about. It's very good. Okay. How strange that I'd never heard of it. Um, it certainly does sound like it's up my alley. So I'll have to check it out when I get back to the States in, uh, in a week or so. Yeah. I mean, these guys though, they, they don't want to uh, become actors. They... That's not what's happening with these guys. So it's not quite like Barry, but still, I felt the similarities. And that storyline was just, like, intense. It was pretty intense, but the only note I really had about it was, oh, okay, bye, Frank. I I liked it enough. I, I agree. Like, I didn't really have too many notes about it. I had just one note where I'm like, geez, like, Archie's alive <laughs> after getting, like, thrown against a porcelain, like thing in the bathroom and like thrown through like walls in the bathroom I was surprised he was still able to stand and didn't you love that all it took was one hit for Kevin and he's down even though like Kevin's on the wrestling team and stuff one hit Kevin's down and uh Archie gets thrown through walls and everything like that and he's still like come on bring it yeah I did not appreciate that uh, I think we need justice for Kevin he is much buffer than that, and I know that he can hold his own. I don't I don't enjoy that. You know what, Heidi? We've been doing this podcast a couple of years. I think it's time for us to start uh, branching out into the world of merchandise, and I think Justice for Kevin should be our first t-shirt slogan. I mean, in general, for like across Riverdale plot lines and everything, it's accurate. Kevin deserves justice. He is slighted in every way. <laughs> And yeah, I agree. I'd wear a Justice for Kevin, hashtag Justice for Kevin shirt. You know what? I don't know whether it's something that I would have the time or the mental capacity to start up an online store for our, what, 12, 13 listeners. Uh, but if you are interested in a t-shirt, drop us an email, squared 2 at gmail.com, and I'll sort you out. Uh, you have to pay for it. 
but I'll design it for you. <laughs> but in the meantime, Heidi, I think, uh, when's your birthday? Um, it's in seven days from the time we are recording this. Damn, that's not quick enough for a Vista print to <laughs> print out a, a hashtag for Gavin t-shirt. Damn it. You're good. You're good. I don't, I don't need one. And yeah, that's, we barely can, we barely have enough time to get together to record these. So I think a shop is too much. Oh God. It's crazy because like I mentioned in, um, uh, our last episode, I've just started my own business, which is a craft business. It's not making t-shirts, but that would be fun. Um, and then I was meeting with a friend, uh, today cause I'm obviously still back home in Australia and, um, my friend's like, so what are you doing? And I'm like, well, I'm working full time here and then I'm doing this and then I'm doing this and then I'm doing this podcast. Oh, and I've got this new idea for another podcast. So I think I'm going to have two podcasts and blah, 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 blah. And he just turned to me and he goes, do you sleep? And I'm like, mm. so me being in Australia is the first time I've slept more than six hours in a month in like five years, which is how long I've lived in the States. So he's like, yeah, maybe, maybe calm down a little. Like, yeah, maybe. Yeah, I feel that when I'm like, yeah, I have three jobs. And then yeah, I also listen to a podcast. And I mean, listen to a podcast. I listen to lots of podcasts. (laughs) I also record a podcast and a (laughs) range looks and I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I don't have a life. (laughs) Somehow it still works. Somehow I still manage to get a day off. It doesn't happen very often. But when I do get it, I very much appreciate it. Yeah, it makes you enjoy the the calmer moments for sure. Yeah. So in conclusion, look after yourselves. If you want a hashtag justice for Kevin t-shirt, email us and I'll see what I can do for you, but you have to pay for it. So talking about Kevin, let's talk about this weird tickle business. That's still very much a thing. And it looks like Fangs is now involved in it. And uh, like I mentioned earlier, I was so nervous when uh, Tony saw them, um, you know, whispering in the hall and passing money. I was like, oh, God, now Tony's going to get involved. But I did not see the whole thing with Nick St. Clair coming. Yeah, that was kind of out of left field. It's interesting that he came back to Riverdale. He doesn't, as far as we know, have too many ties to Riverdale outside of our gang. So it's interesting that he was back at all. And yeah, I was not expecting to see him either. But if we're going to have any storylines around the tickling thing, (laughs) I think this was the best option. (laughs) I agree. I agree. And Kevin made this one particular comment and I was like, okay, Kevin, calm down. You've only been doing this for like a week, but you know, when they're watching the video back and they're all laughing, uh, Kevin goes, we in the tickle business like to call him a, you know, a squealer or whatever. I was like, okay, I get it if you're making a joke, but if you're actually serious about the people that we in the tickle business, like, calm down. You've been doing it a week. Yeah, I agree. That that moment was super cringe, but I did like when they're all, like, on the bed and then they all, like, clink glasses. Kevin didn't even look. He just, like, raised his arm back and, like, clinked without looking, and I was like, yes. Kevin's fabulous, and I love that they're giving him some screen time. Uh, do you think this is the end of the stuff that we see about the Tickle videos? Do you think it's going to go darker than that? Or it's just going to be this this thing that they 
put together for um, the sake of getting revenge on Nick Sinclair. Yeah, I'm not sure. I guess we're going to have to wait and see. I feel like it's one of those storylines that is not going to wrap up in the next couple episodes before the finale and might continue on into the next season. Um, But who knows? It is so weird. And after this moment, I was like, okay, cool. We did that. <laughs> I'm I'm super ready to move on. If they like moved on from it and didn't address it, and maybe there's just like Kevin and Fangs just have like more money than they used to, I'd be okay with that. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like because this weird quirk was used for good, and you know was was a way to to get um, Cheryl closure and bring Tony and Cheryl closer together, which I think it did. That's a nice way to wrap up this storyline. I'd be okay if we didn't hear about it again. Like that, you know, it was used for good and great. It's done. And maybe Kevin and Fangs do this, but it's not really talked about anymore. Yeah, I totally agree. I, yeah, I'm good. Um, Do we want to talk about this unusual, uh, aggravating and all of those other at words with the whole Veronica Hiram storyline? I mean, we kind of have to, considering it was part of this episode and, and a real shift, but I know how much it irks you. Yeah, if we must, fine. I mean, I'm just going to put it straight out there. Do we believe that Hiram's really sick? That's a great question. I don't know, and I don't think so. I I can't imagine. I mean, like, maybe, but it just felt like a ploy. I can't. We can't trust him. We know we can't, and that... Veronica fell for it so quickly. I'm saying fall for it as if I already know that it's fake. But because I kind of do think it's fake, that she fell for it so quickly makes me think, believe even more that it's not true. You know? Yeah. I. And it was weird that Hermione told her. You know? And Hermione was, she was too upset about this. Let's not forget that Hermione hired a hitman to take out Hiram. You know, why all of a sudden is she so devastated that her husband might die? Yeah, it's dumb. I mean, that there's no reason other than that he one time seduced her and they're sexually compatible. But, like, otherwise there's no real answer. And, yeah, I agree. That is weird that it was Hermione who said it, which maybe made Veronica believe it more than if her dad had told her. But I feel like if he was really sick, the way the story would have played out was that she would have found out from uh, Hermione or her dad and then would have questioned it a lot and kept questioning it and kept challenging him and then finally be proven to like that, you know, he has this sickness and he is like maybe going to die or something like that. But just because the way that the, I just because I really like understand storytelling, it really makes me think that he is not sick. I don't think he is either. And, you know, this isn't the first time that we have have seen Veronica kind of, oh, sorry, not Veronica, um, Hermione. This isn't the first time we've seen her manipulate the situation and be the, the actual puppet master, the one that's truly in control. I, it didn't work for me. And I mean, if he is legitimately sick, I will be so surprised. Because that's not the way that, like, everything about that was bizarre. 
because like Hermione's getting all upset, but I was like, you just hired a hitman to kill him and you've cheated on him and you've left him a bunch of times. Like, okay, I get battered wife syndrome to some point, but if he's sick and then why are they all of a sudden going to New York when she's going like, and then, you know, when she announces like, you know, she's changing her name back and, um, you know, she got into college. He's so proud of her and he laughs and smiles and he's like, oh my goodness, this is great. I'm sorry. Are the two of you not in the middle of something where you're trying to take out each other? Like, it's just, I'm so freaking confused. Yeah, it was a really intense left turn. And like, the thing is, is that Hiram being sick Hiram actually being sick, possibly, maybe, like, with this, like, life or death, like, illness, um, that is, like, the only way that Hiram could be redeemed. Like, that's, like, genuinely the only way that I could see him actually go through some sort of arc where he could change as a character and have some actual real development and become a better person and, like, a real father to Veronica which is sad, but so it's uh, on that end of it, I could see that being a, a way they would want to go about it to actually keep, cause they like him. They want to keep him around. He's a good actor, whatnot, but I don't think it's real. I just don't believe it. I agree completely with you. I was like, okay, if he is sick, you're right. This is the only way a character of this velocity can come back and be redeemed. But again, there's, it, I honestly think it's just another form of this um, manipulation that he is so good at. And, uh, you know, even like, okay, imagine that her Hermione is like, you know, don't tell your father, but he's really sick and he, you know, he might die and blah, blah, blah. The fact, like, say he doesn't, he's not aware of that. The simple fact that all of a sudden this girl who has been making it her mission to destroy you is coming to you, inviting you to the graduate, not the graduation, the, the induction of the new students at this college and, uh, you know, is, I, I'm assuming, giving up this rum nonsense. That seems a bit weird that it's happened out of place and just all of a sudden. Why has she had the change of heart? Oh, okay, it's because Hermione told her I'm sick, you know, and then that would anger somebody. But again, I, I don't know what to make of this, but I think I think that he is lying, that he's not really sick. Yeah, I agree. It just, it seems too convenient and too, like, easy, and she accepted it too quickly. I, I don't believe it. Easy. I mean, the whole thing with her relationship with her dad is very strange anyway. The fact that she would hate him and want to take him down so much, but still continue to live under his roof. Still, you know, if we're, you know, going back to that comment I made earlier about money, she's still living off the, the lodge wealth and, or at least the lodge name, even though she's a Luna. You know, it's just, 
there is it was too much of a 360 we we talked last episode about you know these storylines and especially Hiram and Veronica's giving us whiplash this I feel like is just another moment where this has happened yeah I mean you've said it all I don't really have too much more to say on it it's I I agree we're gonna have to just wait and see what comes of it if we're actually gonna get that like he's really sick storyline and it's actually legit it it will only it's just time we just need to see what happens which is so frustrating because I don't want to wait I want to know now but also I'm sorry two things going back to the Archie storyline all that stuff happens with Frank going over to the Veronica storyline all that stuff happens with her dad at no point does Archie or Veronica pick up the phone to call one another to be like I've had a really shitty day how about you Yeah, no, they're not a real couple. (laughs) They barely know that the other person exists. (laughs) I'd just love to get my hands on the shooting schedule for Riverdale and just see how many scenes that Camilla and AJ have had together because I don't think it's going to be a lot at all. Oh, no, definitely not. Probably, like, lowest of any season is this season with them. I know, and it was weird. Like, you know, when Veronica, and we obviously get introduced to Katie Keene this this episode as well, but when um, Veronica and Katie are talking and Katie's like, oh, you know, is Archie going to move with you this uh, next year when, you know, you go to Barnard College? And, you know, Veronica makes a comment about, I think, you know, Riverdale needs him. But how the fuck would she know? She's not even talked to him. He probably doesn't even know she's been accepted into Barnard because when's the last time they actually got together and chatted about stuff? I mean, we can assume that they're probably are like that they probably are seeing each other outside of the show and the things that we're being seen that's at least what they play it off to be like but I guess we'll see maybe it'll be part of their storyline that they're feeling distant from one another maybe they'll just gloss over it and it won't matter you know what assuming does it makes an ass out of you and me yes I want you to remember that okay I I will I think this might have been done intentionally, but then at the same time, I think this might have been done unintentionally. I think it's going to get to a point where, and maybe maybe in the next episode, because we really only have two until the season finale, I wonder if Veronica's going to be like, well, I'm going to New York and I want you to come with me. And he's all, uh, Riverdale needs me because I'm a vigilante and have really great abs, which he does. They look beautiful. Washboard abs. And then what we saw last episode where you know Betty takes comfort in Archie and it was that very like you called it Barchie you know our Barchie gonna get together I'm wondering if they're deliberately keeping Veronica and Archie separate to help form that storyline or solidify that storyline when it comes I mean maybe that would totally make sense and as of like the core four from what we know right now Jughead is accepted to Yale. Veronica's accepted to to Barnard or whatever that school is in New York. They both would be leaving Riverdale. We don't really know what Betty's plans are for school now. And Archie doesn't have any (laughs) as far as we know. So regardless of the Jughead storyline and wherever that's going to lead us, they, as far as right now, seem like the two who are going to stay in Riverdale. So that would also bring a closeness to them. Ugh. I hope the show doesn't go to shit when they all go off to college because you see that happen 
with a lot of shows that it works really, really well when they're at high school and then they go off to um, college and the show just kind of like jumps the shark, if you know what that expression means. Oh, I do. And oh, I am highly aware of the college issue when it comes to teen shows. The OC, Vampire Diaries, every teen show has suffered from this. Buffy and, um, oh shit, I had another one and I was like, oh my God, this one too. Dawson's Creek. Dawson's Creek. There we go. Yeah. It never really goes well once they go off to college, especially if they split the main characters. I'm hoping Riverdale will be the first one that actually has a success with it. Uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll wait and see, but it's going to be tricky. And unless they're gearing up for Veronica when she moves to New York to transition over to Katie Keene instead, then it's going to be a little bit weird. I think that would be weird, her going on to Katie Keene. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about any of that. And I would say that although Buffy, there were some issues, the issue itself wasn't college. It was Riley. (laughs) I feel about Riley how people feel about the Game of Thrones season finale. Oh, interesting. So don't even get me started. (laughs) You're not alone in that. No, I'm not. But like if, if, you know, any younger audiences are listening that never, uh, you know, watched Buffy or grew up on it religiously like me, like I was like almost going to get Angel's name tattooed on my butt. That's how like religiously I was invested in the show. To give it some context of how pissed I was about Riley. There you go. Game of Thrones equally as pissed about the Riley storyline. But yeah, I'm really glad that Riley went off and married somebody else. Because Buffy and Angel, that's it. That's the way it was supposed to be. Not this fucking Riley who wasn't even cute. And I still hate him. Even when I see him in other movies, I'm like, ooh, he's the guy who ruined everything. I mean, we disagree on some things, but, you know. No, Heidi, you have to agree with me on this or, like, we're not friends anymore. That's how passionately I feel about the Riley storyline. Buffy, inherently... Could not, just like any vampire story, could not be with Angel because she's human and she probably wasn't going to become a vampire. So it just wasn't going to work out. I also don't think she should end up with Spike. I do enjoy Angel. I do. There are issues there, though. It's not perfect. And Riley is cute. I agree that when he came in, there were some qualms and issues, but I think he is attractive as a person. Okay, let me just correct everything that you just said, and then we're going to go back to the show we're actually reviewing. If you watched Angel, the the spinoff series from Buffy, Angel, before the show unfortunately got cancelled, Angel had found a prophecy that said that the vampire with the soul would one day become human because of his good deeds. So he was charging forward and doing that so he could go and be with Buffy. So booyah, there you go. Big hole in your logic. Angel's the best. Riley sucks. Okay, what's your next note on Riverdale? Okay, we're going to go back one moment there um, because you're not just going by with that. Uh, No, I never watched Angel because Angel sucks. (laughs) Not the person, the show. Um, Oh, my God. 
I can't even talk to you right now. I couldn't get into it. I just couldn't do it. It was so weird. I just couldn't do it. Um, I love Buffy. I could not watch Angel. Um, and I mean, that's cool. There's a prophecy or something. Like, I guess maybe they should have talked about that on Buffy. Because with the context clues of Buffy, that was not information that was given to me. Um, so there's that. Buffy had already finished at that point, Heidi. Oh my god, are we having our first fight? No, I'm not fighting anything. You're the one with the feelings. I'm just saying, I just watched Buffy. I didn't watch Angel, so that none of that matters to me. <laughs> okay, let's, we, we have digressed. If you are listening to this for the very first time, I'm sorry. I was about to say, we're not usually like this, but we are. We're, it's just always, uh, you never know what you're going to get when you tune in and listen to us. We like to go off script a lot. <laughs> this is an opportunity for us just to chat. So you're welcome. Or whatever that may be. It is. It's a nice way that we get to talk once a week since we parted ways all those years ago in New York. Um, so yeah, unfortunately, some emotion is going to come out from time to time. Well, I basically feel like I covered most of my notes. Do you have anything left? Not really. Um, I Again, I the only other thing that I wanted to comment on, well, actually two things I want to comment on. Did you notice we did not get a flash forward this episode? I did notice that. No flash forward for this one. Yeah, I didn't realize it the first time I was watching it through. And then the second time I was watching it through right towards the end, which will bring me to my very last thing that I want to say, I was like, oh, hang on a minute. No flash forward. It was, yeah, interesting. So I wonder if that will be an ongoing theme because we're starting to catch up to the time that they were flashing forward to. I mean, that would make sense. It's, it's, imminent so if they do any more flash forwards it'll show us that it's not that imminent so i think it builds more suspense to like whatever's coming to not have those little flashes into the future right exactly well the very last note um that i have is again one of those film kind of things and for anybody who watches film with the same mindset that i do you know as a as a person who's involved in the actual production of film You know the very last shot where uh, Betty and Jughead are watching Donna's video on the TV in Betty's living room? Yes. So I don't know how familiar you are with um, Stanley Kubrick's work, especially on The Shining, but that scene was actually almost identical to a scene in the movie The Shining. And I loved it. I was like, oh God, I wonder if this is me looking too much into this or if truly they have copied this. So there's a scene in The Shining, and I can't remember exactly when it happens, but um, Danny and his mom in the movie are watching TV in the lobby of the uh, the Overlook Hotel. And I've watched this documentary. um, I think it's called Room 217. It's where it actually breaks down the uh, underlying messages and hidden images and things like that that Stanley Kubrick incorporated into his film. And they talk about this one particular scene while Danny and his mom were watching TV at the Overlook that the where the TV is placed, the positioning of it all, and the fact that the TV couldn't physically work in that spot because there's no cable connecting it to power. It, you know, kind of gives the mystery of the Overlook Hotel. Now, in this same scene on Riverdale, not only aesthetically is the TV 
either identical, if not very similar. The actual decor around the TV is very similar to the Overlook as well. And likewise, this TV could not work in this spot because if you look really carefully, there is no cable coming from the TV where it would plug into a wall. So that TV has no uh, source of power. And I, I looked at that and I was like, huh. And then I was like, wait a minute, I think this is trying to emulate what Kubrick did in The Shining to add to the mystery that surrounds Donna. And again, I might be looking into that too much. It's like when you're taking an English class and they're like, break down this book and talk about these hidden messages and the the author's true, you know, um, message behind and you're like, you end up making up something because you're like, who the fuck knows what the author was going to think? This could be another situation like that. But regardless, I loved it. I loved this little connection that I made. And I was like, oh, if this is what they're going for, you nailed it. That's so interesting. Yeah, I've seen The Shining, um, but I've only seen it like all the way through in its entirety once. I read the book as well. Um but it does unsettle me a bit. So, and I like horror movies, but I still haven't, I just haven't had the urge to return to it. Um, so that I'm not familiar with that scene, but that is really interesting. And I hope that that's true because the alternative, if it isn't, is that it's just bad, like staging, like set prop work. <laughs> and that's not as fun. So I really hope that it's what you said and that it's just them trying to build the mystery and like horror, like kind of suspense feeling. I mean, I hope so. Regardless, I really enjoyed it. And even if that connection is all just in my head, I love that I had that kind of connection to make. So I enjoyed it. Yeah, it's very cool. And like, even though I didn't make that connection, because I don't, I've only seen the movie like once, um, I did notice that it was very stylized. So it makes sense that that was intentional for sure. Well, what do you rate this episode? I'm assuming higher than last week's. Yeah, definitely higher than last week's. Um, the the child pornography thing brings it down a touch. So I'd say let's give it a, a solid B. I'm going to go with a B plus. I really enjoyed it. Like I said, um, I felt like there was so much really good setup for this episode. I couldn't help but just be on that train and just ride along with them. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, it felt like while in other episodes, it didn't feel like stuff was moving. It felt like things were moving in this episode, and that's nice. There's a momentum building. What would Betty do this episode? Oh, man. Betty would, you know, bond with her mom a little bit over their shared love of trying to find the truth and stuff. She would kind of be a little misguided in her efforts, I think, personally. But, you know, she'd be supportive for her boyfriend and connect with her mom a little bit more and it's just kind of good stuff. I totally agree. She she had a lot going on this episode, but yeah, the bonding with her mom, I think that was well overdue. I agree. It's really nice to see the mother-daughter bonding. That's nice. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that we're ending this episode on a little bit more of a positive note than than our last episode. It's a long time coming, it feels like, to have a very good episode. Likewise. But you never know what next week is going to hold. Well, on that more positive note, we will leave you all and catch you next time for another episode of Betty Squared. Bye. Bye.